Well, I want to welcome all of you who are here at our Sugarloaf campus, and I want to say a word to our Mill Creek campus. I am so excited about uh, what I'm hearing is going on at Mill Creek. You guys are doing a great job up there. We're so encouraged by uh, the people that are coming to know the Lord, the new people that are visiting every week. Our campus pastor, Chad Logan, is doing a great job. And I don't know of anybody anywhere that's doing a better job than our volunteers, from the people out in the parking lot to our preschool, our children, just fantastic. I just want you to know I pray for you every single day. We're making plans for me to get back up there very soon to see you and be with you personally. But just kudos to all of you out there at Mill Creek. It's a great job that you're doing. And we're so glad you're joining us. And all those, also those of you who are watching online, thanks for being here. From the moment that we're born, we immediately start a business. We start a business of which we are the sole owner. We alone are responsible for its profit or its loss. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the business called life. Every one of us are sole proprietors of that business. You've got a life and I've got a life. And yes, life is just like a business. A business wants to maximize profits, minimize losses. We are the sole owner of the business called life. And we want to maximize the results of our life. And we want to minimize the regrets of our life. Now, I told you last week that if you look back on your life, you think about all the regrets that you may have had or all the successes you may have had, they may have resulted from not making a wise decision in one of three areas. One, how we allocate our time. Two, how we manage our money. And three, how we handle temptation. If you look back in your life, you'll almost be able to, to gauge and to measure and to trace every regret, everything you wish you had not done that you did or everything you wish you had did that you hadn't done. You look back and it'll either be because you didn't handle your time wisely, your money wisely, or your temptation wisely. For example, we misuse time. We let the urgent dominate the important. We put off until tomorrow what we ought to do today, and we look back, and because of that, we miss some very wonderful opportunities. And then we mismanage money. We spend too much. We save too little. We give hardly anything to God's work and to the need of others. And then we mishandle temptation. We do the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong situation, and we either wind up in jail or divorce court, the hospital, are sitting alone in a darkened room, totally depressed because we know we made a foolish choice. We know we made a foolish decision. Well, as you get older, you realize that the business of life doesn't last forever. As a matter of fact, its shelf life is relatively short. And every year is precious. And that's why we started out this year in a series that we're calling Otherwise. Because you can only run the business of your life one of two ways. You can run your life the way you think it's best to run your life, or you can run your life the way God says is best to run your life. And what we've been saying is when you dare to live otherwise, when you make up your mind, I'm going to run the business of my life wisely, I'm going to do it the way I believe God would have me to do it, we said there's no question you will live smarter You'll make better decisions, you will maximize the results you get out of life, and you will minimize the regrets you have in life. 
And I believe that probably nothing affects your relationship to God, your family, your friends, and your own personal happiness more than money. I think that probably explains why God has so much to say about money. I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you start in Genesis and go all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, you will find 2,350 verses that talk about money, how to handle it, how to use it. Now, here's the, 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 the deal with money. Money is kind of like nitroglycerin. Glycerin. It's okay to handle it, but if you mishandle it, it can blow up in your face. Uh, I was uh, out doing Christmas shopping several weeks ago, and I was actually shopping for my grandkids, and, and uh, Teresa was with me. And I remarked to her how amazing it was to me of how many warning labels you see on toys. I, you know, it's incredible. Uh, I picked up a certain point. Don't give to a child under the age of five. Or another label said there are loose pieces here, so, you know, be careful because kids could swallow them. And I got to thinking about, you know, how many warning labels you see everywhere. you got warning labels on cigarettes. You've got warning labels on soft drinks. You've even got warning labels on airbags. Well, I've got an idea. Maybe it would be a good idea if we put a warning, a warning label on dollar bills. Because money really can be dangerous. We ought to put warning labels on checkbooks, credit cards. Who can, I mean, who even knows how many marriages, how many friendships, how many families, how many lives have been ruined because they failed to handle money wisely? I've seen the carnage. I've seen the destruction. I've seen the blood on the floor simply because people mismanaged their money. In fact, let me tell you this. If you're in, in that category and you'd say, man, I need to hear this message because money and I don't get along too well at all, let me just give you a, a little bit of encouragement. You're not alone. Last year, for the first time in years, Americans who applied for financial counseling did not cite reduced income from a job loss or a job change as the main reason for seeking help. Last year, for the first time in five years, when people went for financial counseling and financial advice, they said the number one reason they were there for financial counseling was poor money management. Now, there's a money myth going around that I want to dispel before I get into the heart of this message. And it's the myth that most people have money problems for one reason. They just don't make enough money. I mean, I promise you, if you're here today or watching online or at our other campus, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, you know what? If I just made more money, I would solve my money problems. I cannot make my ends meet. I really can't ma manage my money well. And the real problem is not me. It's not the money. It's just I don't make enough money. I really hate to burst your bubble, but that's just not true. The hard, cold truth is, most people have money, money problems not because they don't make enough money. It's because we have never learned to manage the money that we do make. We've never really learned to manage the money that we do have. I mean, the reason why millions of people will tune in to Clark Howard and Dave Ramsey every day is not because they're not making enough money. It's because they do not know how to manage the money they are making. Most people know how to make it. Everybody knows how to spend it, but a lot of us don't know how to manage it. 
And contrary to popular opinion, the happiest people in the world are not the people who make the most money. The happiest people in the world are not the people who spend the most money. The happiest people in the world are not the people who know how to have the most money. The happiest people in the world are the people who have learned to manage the money they have wisely. To really realize how to get the biggest bang for the bucks that they make and the bucks that they have. Now here's the good news. Tucked away in a book of the Bible called Hebrews, there are two verses that perfectly capture how to live otherwise with your money. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet or an iPad, whatever you have, there's a book in the New Testament. It's actually not too far from the back. If you'll turn to the maps and kind of start making your way left, about five or six books toward the New Testament, into the New Testament, you'll find this book called Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 13, there is a principle that is found in two verses there that is God's wise financial counsel that will enable you to manage your money in a way that will help you get the biggest bank for, uh, bang for every book, book that you make and every book that you have. And in these two verses, there is a principle. It's a very simple principle. And if you will learn this principle, you will learn how to live otherwise with your money. Here's the principle. When you master your money, you can then manage your money. Now, I, I want to say this, and I know this is going to, some of this is going to be painful, but we just need to tell the truth, and you need to understand what's really happening with you and your money. The reason why many of us cannot manage our money is because we've never really mastered our money. We're not the master of our money. We're the slave to our money. It's money that calls the shots. It's money that tells us where to go and when we can go and what to do and when to do it. Instead of us mastering our money, we've allowed our money to master us. And so I just want to get this out. If you really want to manage your money, you need to understand you will never be able to manage your money until you learn to master your money. And in these verses, there are two simple things I'm going to share with you today, and I promise you, if you will apply these and take these to heart and really make them happen in your life, you're going to turn your wallet from a place of pain to a place of pleasure. And for the first time, many of you can begin to learn how to really use money in such a way that you get blessed, others get blessed, you enjoy more of what you have, and you don't worry about what you don't. So the two things I want you to note and maybe write down. Number one, you've got to master your money emotionally. You have got to master your money emotionally. Now, the author begins with this piece of advice. We're in Hebrews 13. We're in verse 5. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money. Now, why would he say that? Because there is a strong emotional attachment to money. It, it really starts when you're young. The first time you get some money to go spend, the first time you get money and you can go buy something of your own, you, you immediately learn it's very easy to fall in love with money. As a matter of fact, the love of money is so strong, there are people today that are sacrificing their children for it. They're sacrificing their marriage for it. They're sacrificing their health for it. There are people that are in jail right now who sacrificed their freedom because they wanted it 
so badly. And the love of money is so strong and so dangerous that the Apostle Paul actually said this. He said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words, the love of money is a trap. Uh, It's a prison, which is why this verse in Hebrews literally says this, get free from the love of money. Now that raises a question. You say, well, how do you know if you really have uh, an unhealthy love for money? How do you know you're in love with money? How do you know that you love money in a way that's just not good? Well, there are some surefire signs that you may battle a love for money, and I'll give you just a few. Here's one. Here's a question. How much do you think about money? If you're in a lot of debt and can't pay your bills, you think a lot about money. If you can't go out to eat when you'd like to or you can't buy something you'd like because you just don't have the money, you think about money. If you're jealous of people next door to you who seem like they're able to kind of go and do where you can't go and do, you probably think a lot about money and maybe you love money. Another question. Are you always or very constantly thinking about how you can make more money? I mean, the number one thing that people will tell me about their money is this. I wish I could find a better job. I wish I could find a job that would pay me more. I wish I could increase my income. I wish I could make more money. And if you're always thinking about how you can make more money, it may be a sign that you love money. Here's another one. Are you frustrated that you don't make more money? Now, There may be a good reason why you are, but most likely there's not. And we're going to show you why in just a moment. When you learn to manage, to master your money emotionally, you won't be necessarily frustrated because you don't make more money. But here's one. Listen to this one. Do you want to make more money? Now, this is big. Just so you can spend more money, so you can buy that newer car or build that bigger house. In other words, why do you want to make more money? Do you want to make more money for you? You want to make more money so that you can spend more and you can buy more and you can have more and you can be more and you can upgrade and you can go bigger and you can go better? Is that the number one reason why you want to make more money? Maybe that explains why in 2014 the U.S. credit card debt totaled $882 billion. Listen to this. That is $15,611 per household. In the average household, you ready for this? Credit card debt costs the average household $5,000 a year in interest. Now, just think about how much happier people would be. Think about how much more you could give or how much more you could save or how much better off you would be if you just eliminated that debt. Let me give you another example. Take the cell phone. Americans, this blew me away, Americans spend over $500 million a year just on ringtones. We spend another $300 million a year on pet rocks, banana holders, I've never even seen one of those, and clothes for our dogs. Why? You know why we do that? You know why we spend all that money on that kind of stuff? Because we're not masters to our money. We're slaves to our money. Now, Another sign that you love your money is this. Are you more passionate about making money and spending money than you are about giving money? 
Because there's no getting around it. If you would rather make money and spend it than give it, then I can tell you right now, you've got an unhealthy love of money. If you get more joy out of making money and you get more joy out of spending money and spending it on yourself than you do about giving it away to God's work and giving it away to meet the needs of people who are less fortunate and blessed than you are, you have an unhealthy love for money. On the other hand, if you love God and you love others more than you love money, then you'll get more joy out of giving it than you will out of making it and you will out of spending it. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Money must be mastered before it can be managed. In fact, I want you to say that with me right now. You ready? Let's say that together. Money must be mastered before it can be managed. You can't manage what you don't master. You can't do it. It's impossible. See, here, let me tell you why you, you should do everything you can to free yourself from the love of money. Loving money is a catch-22. First of all, you love something that won't love you back. Number two, you love something that will never totally, finally satisfy you. And I'll tell you why. If you love money, remember this, if you love money, then how much you want will always be greater than how much you have. Did you hear that? If you love money, doesn't matter how much you have, how much you want will always be greater than how much you have. Now that raises the question. So how do you free yourself from the love of money? How do you break that emotional bond? How do you finally put money in its place and say, you are no longer going to master me, I'm going to master you. I'm no longer going to be a slave to you, you're going to be a slave to me. Well, this verse goes on to give us the key that will unlock the door to free you from the prison of loving money, and this is the key. He says, and to be content with what you have. You can be rich in one of two ways. How much you have or how little you want. Same thing. You can be rich in one of two ways. How much you have or how little you want. And the key to mastering your money emotionally is to learn to be satisfied more, satisfied with more of what you have and with less of what you want. To put it another way, if you will increase your contentment with what you have and decrease your desire for what you want, you can free yourself from the love of money. Now, did you hear that? If you will increase the contentment you have with what you've got and decrease the desire for wanting what you don't have, you can free yourself from the love of money. Now, let me just say this. God does not have a problem with people making money. How do you know? I know that because God gives us money. All the wealth that we have, God gives it to us. If you make money, God gives you the ability to make it. So I know that God doesn't have a problem with us making it. God does not have a problem with us making money. God has a problem with money mastering us. Make money. We should make money. Nothing wrong with that. God says, look, I don't have a problem with you making money. I have a problem with people making money. I've got a problem with money mastering people. And see, here's the key. Money can never master a satisfied heart. Money can never master a contented heart. Once you decide, you know what, I am going to be content with what 
I have. Because even though I know how, no matter how much I have, there's always going to be someone out there that's got more than I have. Let me tell you this. You can be satisfied with what you have because there's a whole lot more people around the world that don't have a fraction of what you have. The key is being satisfied, being contented with what you have. I love the story. There was a king in a certain country, and he was always anxious and always worried. And, and, and he was worried that he would lose his kingdom. He would worry that he would lose his throne. He was worried that he would lose his wealth. He was worried he would lose his power. He was worried that he would lose his authority. And it was really costing him his health. And so his doctor came to him and examined him. And, and, and he said, Sire, the only cure for you, there's only going to be one cure. You're going to die early. He said, we need to find the most totally contented, satisfied man in the kingdom. And we get the shirt from that man, and you begin to wear that man's shirt every day, and that will cure you of your worry and your anxiety. Well, the king sent messengers throughout all the kingdom. They were trying to find the most contented, satisfied man they could in the whole kingdom with orders to bring back his shirt. Month after month after month began to pass, and after a thorough search of the entire country, the messengers finally came back and gave a report to the king. And the king said, did you find the most contented, satisfied man in the kingdom? And they said, sire, we did find him. And uh, he, they said, as a matter of fact, we have never met a man like this in our life. He is at perfect peace. He is totally satisfied. He is absolutely, completely contented. He never worries about anything. And the king said, wonderful. Where's his shirt? And they said, sire, he didn't own a shirt. Learn to be satisfied with what you have. Because the lion of covetousness can only be tamed with the whip of contentment. When you're satisfied with what you have and thankful that God has given it to you, you will have mastered your money emotionally. When you're able to say to your money, I don't want any more. I'm going to be satisfied with what I've got. If God chooses to give me more, that's fine. But I'm going to learn to be satisfied where I am, you will put money in its rightful place. And I'm going to say it again. You cannot and you will not ever manage your money until you master your money emotionally. Now, once you master your money emotionally, then here's the second step. Then you manage your money wisely. Now, we just said the way to master your money emotionally is to get satisfied with what you have. But that begs another question, right? Well, how do you get satisfied with what you have, all right? Listen to the rest now of this passage. Listen to this. For he has said, that is God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me. Now, I told you this a moment ago. There is nothing more foolish than to love somebody that you know is going to leave you. There is nothing more foolish than to love something that you know is going to leave you. I got news for every one of you that are listening to me right now. Eventually, all of your money is going to leave you. All of it. Every dime is going to leave you. It is either going to leave you when you spend it, or when you waste it, or when you blow it. Or when you die, it's going to leave you. But God will never leave you. And now we're going to learn the one secret that can help anybody that wants to manage their money 
wisely. You ready? You ready for that secret? You say, yeah, man, I need it. Okay, it's going to be painful, but it works every time. Here's the principle. You will only master your money when you allow God to master you. You will only master your money when you allow God to master you. Now, here's the beautiful thing. When you finally go to God and you really get serious, and when you finally make God the master of your heart, God will then become the manager of your money. And nobody can manage money like the man who owns it all, like the God, rather, that owns it all. And here's what God says. If you will let me master your heart, I will manage your money. Now, here's the good news. You don't have to be a Wall Street broker or a certified financial planner to manage your money wisely. God has a financial plan he has put into place from the beginning of time, and it always works, never fails. As a matter of fact, the reason why so many of us get into financial difficulty is because what we've been doing all these years is exactly the opposite of what God tells us to do. We've not been living otherwise. We've been living worldly-wise, and that's why our finances are in such bad, bad shape. Because what you're about to see is that what many of us have been doing with our money is the exact opposite of what God tells us to do with our money. And the reason why we do that is because we put our money where God should be, so we wind up loving our money and trying to use God instead of loving God and letting God use our money. Okay? Now, let me show you what I mean by this. This is our verse. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, you will never leave me nor forsake me. All right? Now, there are only three things anybody can do with money. What's this? There's only three things. You can spend it. You can save it. Or you can share it. Now, I defy you to tell me of anything else you can do with your money. You can either spend it, you can save it, or you can share it. That's all you can do. Now, I put those in that order for a particular reason. Because you ready for this? What you see on this pyramid is exactly the way the vast majority of us manage our money. It's exactly the way we manage our money. Now, that pyramid looks relatively innocent. But it actually reveals the number one problem we've got in managing money. Because watch this. If you look carefully at this, at this uh, pyramid, if you look at the very top, the very top says that my number one priority with my money is me. I spend what I want, and I spend it on what I want, and I spend it on what I need. I buy all the stuff I can, or maybe I even can't afford, and then... I use what's left and spend it to pay my taxes, pay my mortgage, pay my gasoline bill, pay my credit card debt, pay my car payment, and whatever debt I may service or things that I may need, all right? Then my second priority, again, is me, right? Because if we have anything left over, if there is some uh, left over, then we may save it or we may invest it. Then we say, now our, earth, our third priority is God. Because if there's any left over after I spend on what I want, 
And if I, if I put a little bit aside, you know, for, for the future, if there's anything left over, then I will give it to God. I'll give it to the work of God. I'll give it to help people who are not blessed like I am. And so this is the way most of us manage our money. We get what we want. Then the bank and the government, the credit card company get what they want. Then if there's any leftover, God gets the leftovers. Now watch this. For many of us right now, this is where the trouble begins. Because unfortunately, we kind of run out of money. As a matter of fact, before we even get here or here, we kind of run out of money up here. And so we don't have enough money to make ends meet. And we run out of money before we can pay off our debt. Or we run out of money before we can even pay our taxes. And we certainly run out of money before we can give anything to God and His work. And so you know what happens? When we're up here and we realize that, uh uh-oh, the glass is empty and we haven't even gotten to the bottom of this part of the pyramid yet, here's what we automatically start thinking to ourselves. I got to make more money. I got to increase my income. That is the solution to my problem. But that's the problem. That's not the solution to your problem. And it rarely, rarely ever works. I'm going to say something you're not going to like. If you come to me today and you tell me that your your finances are a wreck, absolute wreck, I could double your income tomorrow and I promise you it wouldn't solve your problem because a year later you would be exactly back in the same boat. I want to tell you why. There's a law about money that nobody ever breaks, at least when you begin to make money. There's a law you never break. And I haven't broken it, you haven't broken it, nobody ever breaks it. Here's the law. The more money you make, the more money you spend. That's just true. The more money you make, the more money you spend. And the number one reason why we want a better job, want to make more money, want to ask for a raise is so that we can spend more. I've never had anybody come up to me and say to me, Pastor, would you pray that I'd get a better job? Pastor, would you pray that I would make more money? Pastor, would you pray that my income would go up so that I could give more money to God's work? So I could give more money away. No, you know why? So that I can pay off my debt. So I can build a bigger house. So I can buy another car. So I can do this or I can do that. We rarely ever think about making more so that we can save more or share more. And by the way, let me just kind of feel sorry for some of you out there. The government has the same problem we do. Because if the government has a shortfall, what does the government say? We need more money. We need to increase our income. So the average politician, what does he say we need to do? We need to raise taxes. So if you think about it, it really shouldn't surprise us that we find it so hard to manage our money. Because think about it. We say we need to make more. The government says they need to take more. Our culture is out there saying we need to spend more. We're constantly being told every single day, don't leave home without it. Buy one, get one free. Diamonds are forever. Forever. Every kiss begins with K. Not for me, it begins with Teresa. 
But every kiss begins with K, or you deserve the very best. So the government wants to take more. The culture wants us to spend more. So we come up with this logical conclusion, I need more. I've got to make more. I've got to increase my intake. And then God comes along in his word, and God says, I got a better way. I've got a wiser way. As a matter of fact, I've got the only way, both in the short run and the long term, to manage money wisely. And I'm going to show you what that is, but let me just warn you right now, it's going to be counterintuitive to what most of you have believed all of your life, to what most of you have heard all of your life, and to the way most of you practice managing your money. Are you ready? Here we go. Buckle your seatbelt. God's money management strategy is not to increase your income. It's to increase your outgo. Because this is the way most pyramids look for most of us. This is the way God's pyramid looks. God says, first thing you do with your money is you share. Second thing you do with your money, you save. Third thing you do with your money is you spend. Now remember, you can only master your money when you allow God to master you. And I told you, when you allow God to master your heart, God will manage your money. And when he manages your money, guess what? When you finally say to God, okay, God, I tried it my way, hadn't worked, I, my, my finances are a wreck, I can't handle anymore, I need help, I got nothing else to lose, the way I've been doing it hadn't worked out too well, so here, you take it. Tell me, Lord, what would you have me to do? God says, okay, if I'm going to manage your money, then priority number one for you now must become giving, not spending. Giving, not making. Your number one priority, God says, is first of all, you've got to share. Let me put it to you this way. There is a race going on every day for your money, and God says giving should always come in first place. So let me put it to you another way. When God is first, giving is first. If God is last, giving is last. I hope that doesn't offend you. I hope it doesn't make you mad. It's just the absolute truth. When God is first, giving is first. If God is last, giving is last. And the way that you prioritize your money, one of two things will be true. Either brings God into your financial situation or it shuts God out. But when you make the decision, you're going to put God first in your life. Listen, God will put giving first with your money. So let's take these priorities in order. The first thing you should do with your money is to give God the first part of your money. Now, that's not my idea. The richest man who probably ever lived and the wisest money manager of all time, a king by the name of Solomon, said this. He said, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That is, with the first part of all your income. It comes first. Then, watch this, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, remember, this was written to an agricultural society. King Solomon said, 
you ought to take the first calf that you have. You take the first fruit that you pick. You take the first vegetable that you reap and you give it to the Lord. Why? Because when God is first in your life, giving will be first with your money. And when you give God the first part of your money, he will manage the rest of your money. Because look, even a farmer knows it's God that fills the barns with crops. It's God that fills the vats with wine. The farmer can sow and sow and sow and sow and sow, but he'll only reap if God gives the harvest. So God says, look, take care of me on the front end. I'll take care of you on the back end. So you share your money. That's priority one. First thing you do, you give. Second, then you save your money. Now let me just stop right here. I know right now there are a lot of you, you want to throw a tomato at the screen right now, you'd love to hit me if you could. Okay, I get that. You're sitting there, you're going, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I just, I'm telling you my finances are a wreck. I run out of money about the 18th of the month and I got 12 days to go and now you're telling me to save. And I know there are a lot of you, you've already kind of closed your notes, put your pen down, you're saying this is just totally unrealistic, can't do it. You're, you're like the, professional, the former professional golfer from Georgia, Doug Sanders. Doug Sanders said this. He said, I'm working as hard as I can to get my life and my cash to run out at the same time. If I can die right after lunch on Tuesday, everything will be great. Okay? All right. I, I, I get that. And, and let me just be honest with you. There are some of you out, right, out there right now, you have convinced yourself it is impossible for me on my income with my bills to save any money at all. I want to tell you, I want to challenge that. I'm going to say something and don't, just don't even try to argue with me. You're going to lose this argument. Everybody can save something. Everybody can save something. Now, the typical American isn't saving much of anything. Uh, a report from interest.com finds that the median household savings nationwide is zero. The average American's not saving anything, listen, despite the fact that the average American has $668 left over each month after paying all their bills. The average American has $668 left over after paying all their bills, and yet they're saving nothing. Now, let me just give you, let me just challenge your thinking here. Everybody can save $2 a day. Everybody. For example, if, if you uh, get a hamburger and a fry at lunch or something like that, just don't eat lunch. Now, I want you to think about this. Let's suppose you were to start saving $2 every day. Let's suppose you did that every day for 30 years. At the average rate of return of the stock market, since the stock market got started, you would have $82,696. It can be done. Everybody can save something. There, there was a woman that was, uh, saw a man smoking a cigarette. She thought she'd set him straight. And so she walked over to him. She said, sir, she said, how many packs of cigarettes do you smoke a day? And he said, um, three. She said, well, how much does each pack cost? Uh, he said, $5. She said, well, how long have you been smoking? He said, uh, 10 years. He said, why are you asking? She kind of got snooty. She says, well, did you know that if you'd saved all that money from smoking cigarettes, you could have bought a Lamborghini by now? 
And the man said, really? She said, yes. He said, well, may I ask you a question? She said, sure. He said, do you smoke? She said, of course not. He said, then where's your Lamborghini? Now, the truth of the matter is everybody can save something. Let me tell you this. Another way you can start saving money is by paying off debt. Because I really believe after giving and after saving, that ought to be your third priority. Now, why is paying off debt saving? Real simple. Interest either works against you or it works for you. When you're paying off debt, it works against you. But when you're saving, it's working for you. So retiring debt so that you can take the same money and save it, it flips the chart. Dave Ramsey says, dump your debt, make a plan, set a deadline, eat off one bite at a time, have a goal and a deadline, and do it. Look, if you can save $2 a day, you can put $5 a week on your debt or something like that. Everybody can do something. And then finally, once you share and once you save, then you get to spend your money. Well, guess what you're spending? You say, what's left over? That's right. And that's what God intended all of us to live on, what was left over. So, and by the way, even here, even when it comes to spending, here's a little tip. Even here, you should spend your money otherwise. You say, well, what do you mean? Spend it wisely. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you a, a little tip that will go further than anything I know in helping you spend your money wisely. Teresa and I basically started doing this back when we first got married. It is one of the greatest things we ever have done financially, and it's so simple. Now, it's hard, and it takes discipline, but it so pays off. Here's the tip. Pay cash or don't buy it. Real simple. Pay cash or don't buy it. Now, obviously, there are, there's one major exception to that. That's a house. I mean, I get that. Nothing wrong with borrowing money to buy a house. Probably a good investment. And then maybe, maybe when you first get started, a car, maybe. You know, I'm not saying always, but maybe a car. But, but other than that, the two best things you will ever do in spending your money is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Somebody said that people can be divided into three, one of three classes. The haves, the have-nots, and the have-nots paid for what they have. Now, I promise you, you're in one of those three categories. You're either in the haves, the have-nots, or the have-not paid for what they have. Listen, God's goal for you is not only to be in the haves category. That's where God wants you to be. He wants you to be in the haves category. But the reason why he wants you to be in the haves category is so that you can first share your money, then save your money, and only then spend your money. So just a rule of thumb to remember. It's all right to borrow for necessities, okay? But always pay cash for luxuries. Now, I've thrown a lot at you this morning, and I get that, and I know some of you haven't liked it. I know some of you have thought it's very painful. I know some of you think it's just totally unrealistic. But I, I just want to ask you to do this. Would you try just for the next two months, just two months, would you try God's plan for living otherwise? Would you for the next two months, just, just give it a shot. For the next two months, when you get a paycheck, first thing you do, 
you share. I mean, that's the first thing you do. You make the first check out to God and his kingdom. That's the first thing you do. Second thing you do, save. Make the second check out to savings. Listen, I don't care if it's just a fraction of your paycheck. I don't care. Write out something and begin to save. Then make your next payment to debt, even if it's only a small bite of the elephant. Okay? Then you spend. You pay whatever taxes and bills you have you know, to pay, and then if there's anything left over, you live on the rest. Now, before you sit there and give me that bulldog look and say, I can't believe this, this is not going to work, I can't believe you asked me to do this, this is crazy, how's the way you've been doing it working out for you? Obviously, it hasn't worked out for many of us who are listening to this message right now, so I want to close with this. Jesus Christ did not just die on the cross to save us. He also died to take over every part of our lives, including our finances. And if you truly believe that God, through Jesus Christ, gives you eternal life, then you must also believe he'll give you anything you need in this life as well. And I am a satisfied customer. I'm telling you, when you let him master your heart and you let him manage your money, You'll see how the other half lives, and they live happily ever after. Let's pray together.